Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to the Running Light Ministries podcast. It is called the Better Pleasure Podcast, and I think we are on episode 64. Nice. What do you think of that, Peter? <laughs> That's pretty awesome, We man. just keep rocking these episodes out, man, <laughs> so we get to talk about cool stuff. We just got done a ton of premarital podcasts, so it's going to be cool to talk a little bit about something different this week with you guys out there in podcast land. Um you know, we always enjoy talking about sex and stuff like that and the Bible and how it relates and all that cool stuff. And I got to push all this stuff aside because that's all my hockey ministry stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, we, today we're going to talk about transgender hmm. and, um, and that kind of world. I remember as uh, a teenager, I remember watching a movie. It was something games. I know everybody goes, Hunger Games, but no, <laughs> I'm much older yeah. than that. <laughs> And uh, it was, God, I can't think of the name, but it, it's war games. No, it wasn't war games. Uh, I thought it was something games. I could be wrong, <laughs> but I, I remember like it had a, a part in it that the character, main character was going to have intimacy with a girl. And I think it was an escort of some sort. And and then there was this shocker moment where it was it was someone who was trans transgender, and it kind of was like whoa, you know. And I remember in the movie, I remember being a teenager watching it and thinking, whoa, that's like what a that's interesting, you yeah. know. And for those of you who are listening, um, you know, I'm not from a uh, that you know Christian cookie cutter mold world, you know. I am certainly. Uh, grew up going to clubs from Southern California, being on Sunset Boulevard a lot as a kid, um, being around multi, you know, very, very sexual people. I mean, I grew up seeing all kinds of people that I knew were guys, but they dressed up as girls. And even me, me man, I was part of a heavy metal kind of crew uh, growing up. So, for us, looking like a, a, a woman was like what, what we wanted to do. <laughs> you know, that was the goal. The more you looked feminine, um, you know, the, you know we, we got, you know, uh, uh, this is throwing it way back for the old heavy metal folk out there. But we used to get these things called parachute pants. And they weren't like MC Hammer pants. Don't think like that. Uh, these things were tight and they had zippers on them. Um, but they were, they were tight, you know, and that's what we, you wanted to get is tight pants, um, you know, long hair, uh, earrings, um, anything that made us look kind of feminine. So it, you know, that's, that was my background. So, um, I, I, I am certainly not shocked by, uh, anything with transgender, um, I don't know if you say transgenderism. Is that correct? Would that be something you think? Sounds right. Yeah, transgenderism. Yeah. Transgenderism. But um, I thought we would go over, of course, some of the works. I know that you have some really good. You have a good insight into a passage of scripture that I think many people don't. Um, and, uh, it's the one that I think you're breaking out. I, I see it already, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, I, I'm looking forward to hearing you talk about it a little more, you know, breaking down this section. Cause th- one of the questions is like, is 
transgenderism in the Bible, mm. you know, and and so you're gonna say, yeah, 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 yeah. it is. So that's that's gonna be interesting. It's like, oh, I want to see that. You know, there are biblical passages in the Torah in the Old Testament. Torah is the first five books of the Bible. But there is a passage in there, I want to say maybe it's Leviticus, that talks about that you should not cross-dress. Right. Um, and there's, there's like a prohibition uh, for the Jewish people. Um, so, But, you know, Robert Jensen is a professor out of University of Texas of Austin. I think he's a professor of journalism. Um, I follow, I've followed his, his kind of writing and his lecturing for some years now. Hmm. And... Uh, he wrote a really popular, or not popular, I, I don't want to say popular, but he wrote a book on pornography, a very anti-porn book called uh, Getting Off. And it's uh, there's some quotes in that book that I have used, and they're awesome, man, mm. for sure. Um, he is a guy who's strongly against patriarchy, and I think most of his writing goes in that direction. One of these days we'll have to do a topic, a talk on that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but this is kind of... Uh, his blog on uh, it's titled critical questions need to be answered in transgender debate and I thought this was unique because uh, Jensen would be a person that I would say most Christians would think of as a liberal guy Mm. Um, but yet he he is bold enough to tackle this where uh, the the title alone critical questions need to be answered in transgender debate it already kind of it's already alluding to something mm. you know this thing was posted by the way and i'll post it for anybody listening um <clears throat> i'll get you the 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 thing right now but it was posted on my sa which i don't know what that is oh oh my san antonio that's what it is because oh. <laughs> he's out of texas right. um so um this was posted here. It says it was posted for the Express Express News, August 19th, 2017. But I'm going to put up the link for you guys. Whoop, I just hit finish. Sorry. I'll repost. I'll redo that. <laughs> um, there. There's the link. Okay. So if any of you guys chime in to the live podcast, you guys will see the link. And we got to get Peter in there. <laughs> there we go. We got him. Peter, where does it? Where do you? What passage do you go to really to talk about this issue? So I I think you're right. You know where in the Old Testament there is references to an idea of what we would call today transgenderism, meaning that it obviously what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes is true. There's really nothing new under the sun. You know we're not the first culture that's dabbled with this. We're not the first culture that's messed with it. It was actually really, really popular in pagan cultures. And in fact, in um, anthropology class in college, we talked about a culture in India that still kind of does this, where um, they would take these men and they would castrate them from birth and they would basically turn them into prostitutes and make them into uh, women, basically. They would service men and it, it's very uh, interesting cultural thing. And these these men who are now women are very highly revered and they're usually uh, for royal families and it's 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 a really interesting thing but it's not just in uh, paganistic practices such as that there have been times where people have dressed up as opposite sexes and they have gone into actually acting like those different genders and playing with their own gender and you know sometimes engaging in homosexual acts sometimes not 
uh, just depending. And that's why, you know, you rightly said, Bo, that in Leviticus, God did create a prohibition. But I think one of the most clear times where it's actually spoken of is in 1 Corinthians 11. And before we get into 1 Corinthians 11, so you guys know, um, when you look up transgender, uh, just it, it's an adjective, um, and or the adjective is noting or relating to a person whose gender identity, identity does not correspond to that person's biological sex assigned at birth. Right. So that's what we're talking about. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Just want to be. Hey, we want to be clear. We about want this. to be very clear. Yeah. yeah. And Paul actually is addressing the Corinthian church because they're engaging in this. Now, you can make a debate that they're engaging in transvestitism, which is different than transgenderism. Okay. How? Being a, being a transvestite just means that you like to dress up as the opposite gender. It doesn't mean you identify that way. Okay. Uh, in fact, I uh, actually ended up talking to a man um, at this church. He came up to me and talked to me about it, where he used to, he used to dress up as a woman um, go to different bars and, and things like that. But he actually wasn't gay, meaning he was not attracted to men and he did not see himself as a woman. I mean, mm -hmm. He did not identify as a woman. He just liked to dress up like a woman. Right. Uh, just so to enjoy is, the clothes. Right, to enjoy the clothes and to enjoy... It was almost like in a weird way for him, it was like an alter ego, right? Uh -huh. So he would go to work as a man. He, would hang, he, he was like in construction. He was like a normal dude. And just at night, he would like put on this dress and the makeup and he would go by uh, a different name and he would go to bars and he would hang out and act like this persona that he, yeah. that he put on. But and, he didn't. And, and I think most people like when I was growing up and I talk about Sunset, uh, the strip, you know, Sunset Boulevard. Right. I, I would imagine that's what a lot of people were doing. Right. You know, they right. just they like to go out and be flamboyant and dress up and and kind of play the part. Right, right. That it's a that you're so right, Bo. That it's like a playing of the part. It's not how you actually see yourself, and that would be the key difference. Where a transgender person actually sees themselves that way. So when they stand in front of the mirror, when they think about themselves, they say, you know, if you're biologically a male, you look in the mirror and you say, I am a woman. Right. You believe wholeheartedly that you should be a woman. That that's what you ought to be, and so you just identify as a woman. And also within transgenderism, another interesting thing is that you don't necessarily have to get the surgery to be transgender, to be considered trans. You just have to consider yourself that gender. Uh, so you just have to believe that. You have to see it that way. And the reason why I believe that transgenderism and transvestite uh, behaviors are being discussed in here is the way that Paul addresses this. So let me, let me read it, and then I'll break it down a little bit. Yeah. So we're going to start... In verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 11. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is a shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. 
For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even as even so also man comes through woman. But all things are from God. Judge among yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Now, I really wanted to read that last verse, that verse 16, because what this section is talking about, and it might sound... Those who are listening who haven't gone through this section before, it might hit you as kind of weird. Mm-hmm. So you'd be like, is Paul saying that if a man grows long hair, that's a sin? Or if a woman cuts her hair short, that's a sin? Or do women need to wear these head coverings that he's talking about? Is that something that we're, we ought to do as Christians? But the last verse actually dispels all that because he says, if anyone seems contentious, we, meaning Paul and the people around him, have no such custom, nor do the churches of God meaning no one else is practicing the stuff that he's telling the Church of Corinth to practice. This is just for them. And when you study what was happening in Corinth, you understand exactly what Paul is talking about. He's not simply talking about people dressing up like men just growing long hair, and that was it. What he's talking about is a very uh, ancient practice where in the Temple of Aphrodite and in that culture as a whole, men would grow their hair long, dress like women, and be women. Like, they wouldn't just put on a persona in the temple, they would actually identify as women and they would have sexual relations with the men in the temple. And women would do the same thing. They would shave their heads and they would act as men. So there was entire gender differences that actually uh, weren't necessarily sexual. Meaning the stuff that Paul's addressing here is actually he doesn't seem to be addressing sexual activity. He seems to be addressing a reversal of gender roles where the women are shaving their head and they're the ones prophesying, meaning the women are actually leading the church and the men are taking a passive role, growing their hair long and acting as women. So again, he's not talking about sexual differences. He is talking about actual assigned gender roles being reversed. And he says that it's wrong. The reasoning he gives for it being wrong is found in verse 3. We've talked about this one before, but he says... I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So the reasoning that Paul gives is that within the Trinity, there are separate, distinct roles that the Father and the Son have, and the Holy Spirit. And these roles are glorified and exemplified in their differences, not necessarily their similarities. Meaning, the Son taking on flesh, as distinctive from the Father not taking on flesh, is actually important to their distinctions between the Father and Son, and it's very key to even our salvation. And what Paul is getting at is he's saying, just as the Father and the Son have personal distinctions that glorify God as a whole, he's saying women and men are given proper distinctions from God to glorify God as a whole. And we must abide in those things, lest we dishonor God's plan and purpose and make up for our being. 
And that's why he says in verse 11, nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman comes from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. So he's saying it's not that one gender is superior to the other. He's just saying that this is the assigned roles that God has given us. And the way we glorify him is by fitting into the roles that he's given us through birth. And not saying I can pick and choose what I want for myself. Hmm. Yeah, and 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 that's a difficult. Uh, I think for those that are in the transgender world, that's difficult to to hear. Right. You know, um, um, just recently, you know, there was the big um, bathroom bill. Right. You know, that was kind of big news, and so many people talking about it and you know pro con everything like that I, you know I, me personally i just want a bathroom to go into <laughs> you know what i mean i just want to go to the when i gotta go to the restroom i gotta go right you know um you know but that's me um you know um and i understand the issue with kids and things like that and, and those are legit you know we live in a world that certainly has um people that are predators right and um issues with sex trafficking and different things like that in our in our world so um that's a legit concern you know that people have but the bathroom bill i guess has died in the texas legislator uh and um so this is kind of why professor jensen wanted to write about this this topic now right it sounds like um so now that we got a little bit of the biblical ideas down that this is something that, um, as you see, was happening in Corinth. And if anybody doesn't know about Corinth, Corinth was a very sensual place. Uh, to be a Corinthian was a byword, actually, in the ancient world, to be someone who is like a, a pervert, right? basically. Um, very highly sexual person, right. perverted person. So, um, you know, you think of it, uh, I don't know, I, I, maybe like a red light district kind of mentality, right. maybe today. Uh, maybe a little bit of that Vegas mentality, yeah. but probably even more hardcore than a Vegas mentality. Right. Um, because you can go to Vegas, obviously, and there's there's light shows, there's roller coasters, there's the M&M factory. Right. You know, there's other stuff to do there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you could have a good time <laughs> and not be that's right. into that in stuff. In Corinth, yeah. when you were hanging out in Corinth, <laughs> it was really, you get the idea from reading different um, historians that it really was a place that had that one uh, idea of worshiping the goddess or you were part of some other all alternative cult right. that uh, practiced um, uh, sexual versatility. Right. <laughs> Diversity. <laughs> <Yeah>. Diversity. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Which again, it's like I can relate to it. So Robert Jensen writes, and I think this is interesting. Now that the bathroom bill has died in the Texas legislature and the political fireworks are over, for the moment, we should step back and consider what makes the transgender I issue so vexing. Debates about gay rights and other hot-button culture war issues have long been divisive, but there's something distinctive about this one. A large number of people are simply confused for good reason. Many people don't understand transgender activists' claims about sex and gender, and the transgender movement has yet to offer a coherent explanation. Hmm. What does it mean for people... Uh, what does it mean for people born unambiguously male biologically? That is, 
not with one of the rare intersex conditions, a separate question from trans transgenderism, to claim to be female or vice versa. As a matter of biology, male and female are categories defined by different gender roles in reproduction. A male human cannot or become a female human. Hormones and surgery can create the appearance of a sex change, but cannot transform a person into someone of the other sex category. Mm -hmm. Do you think that paragraph alone would be a little um, ruffling of the feathers? It would be. It would definitely be a ruffling of the feathers. And, uh, you know, I, I hear this all the time from, by the way, every major political discussion has this. And what I mean by that is when he brings up the intersex issue. And the reason why I bring that up is because let me let me take another category that's a really hot button to uh, debate topic, abortion, right? When you talk to someone who is pro-choice, usually what they do is they bring up a rare occurrence and they use that to argue for the for the full pro-choice movement. Meaning they'll say, what happens to a woman who was raped, right? And she cannot afford uh, adoption. She can't do this. So it's like what they're doing is they're taking the very, very fringe, basically never happens case. It does happen, but I'm just saying it's a very, very low percentage case. And they're saying this justifies all of abortions. In the same way, it's like this intersex uh, category that he's bringing up is in existence. It exists, but it's a very, very small percentage of people very small percentage of people. You can't use those categories to argue for all of transgenderism. If people want to debate and talk about intersex, there's there's no black and white there. There there are some deep things that we need to discuss as Christians of how do you deal with someone who is in those categories. Yeah, and intersex is meaning someone who is born with literally both uh, sex organs. Right. Right. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. And and those people exist. They're out there. Very small percentage, but they do exist. And so we should have debates and, and dialogues about what should we do. And I think there's a lot of gray area there for people who are believers in those categories. But that is such a small percentage. You cannot use that to argue transgenderism as a whole. And so right off the bat, when he's doing this, he's actually taking like kind of a more polemic or argumentative stance because he's actually attacking one of the big transgender arguments of what about intersex people? What do we do with them? And he's saying like, hey, yeah, they exist, but you can't take a biological man and make him a biological woman. You could give the, the appearance of it, but they remain a man, right? I could take hormone therapy and I could have my genitalia removed, but I'm still a biological man. All I'm, I'm still going to have... Uh, all the different genetic dispositions of a man. That's uh, You can't take that away. Unless they can get to a place where they can take like your brain yeah. out or or like replace everything in your body. You'd have to replace all the chromosomes in your body. Yeah. Because all the chromosomes in my body have a Y chromosome because I'm a man. Uh, you'd have to be able to take all those out, remove that chromosome, and then turn me into a woman, which is not possible. You can't do that. You'd have to completely rewrite someone's genetics. Yeah, and that's what they're doing. <laughs> right? That's what, that's what they're working that's on, That's what they're man. pushing, man. That's it's what they're pushing towards. Rewriting genetics, dude. Rewriting all of it. That's right. So let's go on. It says, if the focus is on socially defined gender, the meaning of society makes of male-female sex differences, it's easy to understand how someone born male might feel at odds with the norms of masculinity and more comfortable with the norms of femininity 
or vice versa. Mm -hmm. People have a right to look and behave as they like without the constraints of patriarchal gender norms. Mm -hmm. But that does not require anyone to claim to have changed sex categories. Mm -hmm. So what do you see? What's he saying there? So what I see is that um, he's saying that there are men that are born that do not feel like they conform to the uh, the norms of masculinity, meaning they don't feel very masculine. They In, don't like how the society defines masculinity. Society, that's right. And so they they may enjoy hanging out with females more. They playing with enjoy, dolls. Playing with whatever. dolls. You know, dressing up. You know, being more. I, I think they call it metrosexual today or whatever. Um, but yeah, just that idea of just being more feminine. And there might be some females that are more that tomboy um, kind of girl that they, they like masculine things. They like, they like to do more manly type things and they don't really like girly things. And what he's saying is that, so what? It doesn't make you a biological man if you as a girl just have more tomboy qualities. Right. Just because you are outside of the mold of society's norms doesn't mean that you're that. Right. And, and even as Christians, we would 100% agree with what he's saying. Meaning, if, I have a, if I'm counseling a man who doesn't conform to society's norms of masculinity, I'm not going to sit down with him and be like, that's wrong. You know, you need to start watching football. You need to do this. <laughs> you need to do that. Like, you need to get on the, on the ball, man. That's like, right. I would just, all I would counsel him to do is just exactly what Paul's counseling the Corinthian church to do of like, you can have feminine qualities you still need to take your assigned role though, right? That's the whole point of like, if you're like what we were talking about with husbands and wives, if you're a husband, you might be a very, what culture would define as a very feminine man, but it doesn't excuse you from saying, well, I'm kind of more of a feminine man. So I'm going to completely shirk my duties and responsibilities as the head of the household, because that's just not my dig and that's not my deal, Hmm. right? You can't do that. Sure. In the same way as in church, uh, you know, if our head pastor is just like, you know what, I'm kind of more feminine than my wife, so she's going to be the head pastor, and I'm just going to be the the spouse. So there's you know? kind of two things that are you're talking about. It's one of them is an identity sexually, and then an identity with your your role in society, right? Our role in family and those type right. of things. And again, a very interesting thing about the trans movement is it actually doesn't have anything to do with sexuality. Meaning uh, a lot of men who identify as women are still attracted to women. And a lot of women who identify as men are still attracted to men. So they, they get the, the sex change and then they would be considered uh, gay because they identify as a, a, like you would still be considered gay because if I identify as a woman, but I'm still attracted to other women, I'm still considered gay. Though biologically you're still male. Though biologically I'm still male. Yeah. Okay. So with all that, let's move on. People who identify as transgender typically describe an internal subjective experience of belonging in the other category. And I'm not challenging those self-reports, but an internal subjective experience doesn't change physical realities in the world. For example, people who are dangerously underweight sometimes report an internal subjective experience of being overweight, but we don't embrace that as a reality encourage them to diet. So he touches on the idea of a subjective experience doesn't change just the fact that there is a physical truth. Right. And what he's getting at, and I think this is a really key issue to this point, is in psychological terms, we call this body dysmorphia and then gender dysmorphia. And what it means is like 
if you have someone who's bulimic or anorexic, even though you have a girl who weighs 85 pounds, who's unbelievably thin, when she looks in the mirror, she sees someone who's overweight. Even though she's objectively not overweight, she still sees it. It's called body dysmorphia, where your brain is not correctly associating reality to reality. It goes far beyond vanity. It goes far beyond anything else. It's really a sickness where that's what they see. But what he's getting at is a doctor would never sit down with someone who has body dysmorphia and be like, you're right, you are fat. You know, let's let's encourage this this thought process. You are fat. Let's person. get you on a diet. Let's get you on a diet. Let's get you thinner. Let's get you more healthy. Right. They would never encourage that. They would look at that person and be like, I understand that's what you see, but it's not the truth. Hmm. Right. And until we're dealing with the truth, I can't actually help that person. And so what what he's getting at is that this is pretty much this, uh, uh, people from the trans movement would definitely abominate this argument. They would say, like, that's not it's not the same thing at all it's totally different but what he's saying is what if it is kind of the same thing and someone who sees themselves as being a different gender am i really helping them by encouraging a behavior that doesn't line up with reality because the reality is is that it doesn't really matter what i identify as biologically i'm a man right that that can't change and i could go to the entire world the entire world can see me as a woman they say peter you're a woman peter you're a woman peter you're a woman but it doesn't change what I am. I'm still a man. And he's saying that we need to align our reality with reality. We, we can't just say, I want my own reality. And even as Christians, you know, someone might say, well, hey, you've never seen God. So, you know, don't you want to align up your, your, ide- your beliefs, too, with reality? And, and um, we're not going to get into that right now. <laughs> but we certainly would say, absolutely. Yeah. You know, we we definitely want to align ourselves with reality, and so our arguments would be one of, of in the same um, logical stream, right. is that we would say, hey, you know, our belief in God has to line up with what we see, yeah. what really is reality, what our how our world works, right? You know, right. So if like the Bible said that the world was flat, we would have to, as Christians, be like, well, obviously it's not. The truth that's not what we see in reality so i should reject that you know yeah or or i think of um um you know of just the idea of you know is you know what do we see in this world we see we see things born we see things die uh we consider things wrong we consider things right mm. there's a lot of things that happen uh in nature and uh, uh in us um, as human beings with morality issues that lead us to think about God. Mm. Um, uh, so, cause things aren't just arbitrary and random, right? But, but that's another podcast for sure. <laughs> so, but let's get back to this. When, he, when males who identify as transgender assert that they are female and therefore should be allowed in all female spaces, such as changing rooms or bathrooms, it's no surprise that many people say, I don't understand. That's, uh, legit, legitimate confusion, not bigotry or hate. Hmm. But simply acknowledging the confusion can, in some places, lead to being labeled transphobic. And so many people keep quiet about their concerns. Hmm. This is very different from the debate over the stat- status of gay men and lesbianism. Le- lesbians. People who oppose gay marriage understand that same-sex attraction and intimacy is... They understand what it is, even if they have not experienced it. When I argue for gay 
lesbian rights, no one on the other side has ever said, I don't understand what it means to be attracted to someone of the same sex. Hmm. The response of transgender activists and supporters vary widely. Some argue that not just gender, but even sex categories, male and female, are socially constructed, hmm. a claim that seems nonsensical to me and many others. The realities of sexual reproduction do not change based on social norms. Hmm. Others, and what that basically is just saying is that, right, you, you, no matter what you call yourself or what you think or identify yourself as, the way you make babies Right is going to yeah your biology still remains the same and and he's he's pointing out a really good point because he said this earlier that culture's views of masculinity or femininity do change meaning what is considered manly in some cultures is very different than other cultures right to be a man in the Middle East is very different than being a man in America it's just different but he's saying the way you make babies doesn't change it doesn't matter where you go on the planet or where you go in a time machine. It's the same way. No way can a man have, uh, be pregnant and have a child. No way can a woman impregnate a man. That doesn't happen that way. And uh, to say that it's a social construct is ridiculous because obviously, again, even if I was arguing as an atheist, I would look at the animal kingdom and say there are gender roles in the animal kingdom, right? Those gender roles may be different than hu uh, human species, but they are there and they're distinct. Yeah. And and the paragraph before or a couple paragraphs, what he's dealing with is that in the transgender debate, he's saying it's not coherent, meaning it's not um, really people don't understand it. Like so, so people might respond with that idea. I think he says, like, I don't understand. We'll respond by going, I, I don't understand, like, how that works. You're a guy, but you're you think you're a girl, and so you're going into a girl bathroom. Um, I, I'm not getting this, hmm. you know. And 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 he's saying there's a legitimacy to that. I don't understand mentality, um, because we, a lot of us don't understand. We don't, a lot of us don't identify as something other than what we are biologically. Mm. And so what he's saying is that's different from the debate about gay and, uh, you know, or lesbian life. Right. Where to say to someone who's gay and lesbian, oh, I don't understand being gay or lesbian. That's a ridiculous kind of statement because right. we all understand what it means to be gay or a lesbian. Right. Uh, basically being attracted to the same sex. Right, but not a lot of us have woken up and thought, like, I feel like I'm the wrong gender. You know? Right. Like, that's not, that's very hard for the average person to understand. It's not, it's not, it's not normal. Yeah, most people don't ever think about those things. Right, where we all have sexual attractions, right? Yeah. So it's very easy for me to think, like, what would it be like to be sexually attracted to a man? Mm -hmm. Very easy for me to think that way, but not, not a lot of people, it's a very small percentage of people wake up thinking, I feel like I'm the wrong gender, right? That's a very different feeling. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine it, it definitely is so. So the response of transgender activists and supporters vary widely. Some argue that not just gender, but even sex category, oh, I already, I already said this, male and female are socially constructed. Yeah, I already got that. Or, or where I'm at is the second paragraph. Others propose that there can be disconnection between chromosome, chromosomal gonadal 
gonadal, genital, sex, and brain sex, which could make sense only if there are meaningful, distinct male and female brains, which there aren't. Hmm. Okay. So um, others reject the idea of a binary but human reproductive cells called gametes. Gametes? I think so. (laughs) Are either egg or sperm, which is binary, that can't be wished away. Let me be clear. I am not rejecting the eternal subjective experiences reported by people who identify as transgender, nor am I suggesting that bigotry or violence against people who identify as transgender is acceptable. But until there is a coherent explanation of the transgender movement's claims, it's not discriminatory to maintain certain sex-segregated facilities, especially those that give girls and women privacy and safety from the routine intrusions of a male-dominated culture, not because transgender people are a distinctive threat, but because blurring the lines based on individuals' unchallengeable assertions of an identity will lead to perpetrators or, or predators exploiting the ambiguity. Good point, right? Yeah, very good point. So it's it's kind of like what you mentioned earlier that you know some people can exploit this. You know, if I'm a young teenage boy and I'm like, oh, like I could just tell people that I identify as a female and I could hang out in the girls' locker room. You know, and that that's all I have to do. And again, like it doesn't even necessitate that I say that I'm uh, I'm attracted to men. I could still say I'm attracted to women. But I identify as a woman and I could hang out in the girls locker room. Right. Right. And what he's saying from the patriarchy perspective, right, is is that we already live in a culture that is male dominated in so many ways. And I think what he's getting at is there's so much male abuse on women, Mm -hmm. too, that to to make a law based on this ambiguity opens the door for too much of that male oppression. Right. That's what I does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh that sounded right to me. But I really love the fact that he also mentioned the idea of um uh, categorical fallacy, meaning um a good example I think in our culture today would be the idea of racism. So if one if one person wants to say like I want to talk about the issues of the African American culture and and where they're at economically and how to help them. Um, what people can do is they can then label me as a bigot. They could say, oh, you're just a racist. You're against black people. You think they're different than us. And so you think that different things should be done for them as opposed to us. The second someone labels you like that, it kills conversation. You can't talk after that. And what he's saying is the same exact thing has happened with this transgender thing, where the second someone says like, hey, well, let's, let's talk about this. Is this really... Um, something that's legitimate or is it really like body dysmorphia is it is it kind of like a mental uh, mental problem and we need to deal with it from a different angle what people immediately say is you're transphobic right you're just you're just against this movement you're a bigot you're you're racist against these people and he's like no I'm not you know I I love these people and I'm trying to figure out the best way to help them is the best way to help them and society as whole to just say there are no more gender distinctions and whatever you think you are, you are? Or is it better to say there are gender distinctions and when people think this way, it's because there's something wrong with them? So when people argue that way by labeling, it really is a fallacy, a logical fallacy. Right. Right? Right. Because it, 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 it's basically a, 
what would they call it? Like a labeling fallacy or what, what would it be called? Something like that. I, I think um, in philosophical terms, it would be called an ad hoc fallacy. But, okay. <laughs> uh, but basically, it's, it's, it's labeling someone something so that you don't have to debate it. Right? Right. It's like a straw man kind of a deal. But um, at the end of the day, like it's it's really important to understand the distinction because, hey, you know, me as a Christian, I'm not at all saying um, I'm not naive enough to say that these people who identify as trans have not endured um, any type of abuse. Right. Um, bullying or whatever. You know, I'm saying that that probably has happened to them and that's wrong. You know, we as Christians should be the first ones to stand up and say that's wrong to bully someone or to abuse them because of the way they see themselves, because of uh, being attracted to someone that uh, to, to males if they're male or women if they're women or seeing themselves as different gender. It is wrong for us to abuse someone like that. But there's a really important distinction of saying, OK, well, when does me loving someone turn into me enabling them? And there has to be a distinction there, right? Me loving someone that has body dysmorphia, meaning someone who's anorexic and is dropping to 80 pounds, me loving them would be me going to them and saying, look, the way you think is wrong, right? You're deluded. You need to, you need to see things right or else you're going to kill yourself. And when you're, when you're dealing with the trans movement, I mean, a lot of these statistics have been brought up that one out of, I think it's one out of every two transgender people commit suicide, which is insanely high. That is like the highest demographic of any other demographic that there is. It's, it's either one out of two or one out of three. It's very, very high. And those numbers, by the way, do not shit. There's no uh, time where we've been able to distinguish uh, a difference between people who are post-op or pre-op, meaning people who have done the surgery and are accepted as a different gender have the exact same statistics of suicide. Um, so is it really racist for someone to say like, look, here's the problem, right? These people are still killing themselves um, at a high rate, very high rate. It's not fixing the problems uh, in schools. It's not fixing the problems in families. So maybe we need to talk about a different solution. But the other side would just say, you're transphobic, you're racist, you're this, you're that, you're the other. And it doesn't really lead anywhere practical. Yeah. Um, Dorothy Sayers has a really great quote on this. She says, in the world it's called tolerance, but in hell it's called despair. It's the sin that believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and remains alive because there's nothing for which it is willing to die. Mm. Right. So what she's saying is that she's describing our culture. She's describing a culture that says we must tolerate everything. But when you say we must tolerate everything, that means you stand for nothing. You believe in nothing. You interfere with nothing. You hope for nothing. You're just this blank. You're just in despair. There's really nothing you can do. Yeah, which is why we have such conflict in our society because we can't really live that way. Right. You can't, we're we're you confused. Can't we're confused with philosophy and reality. That's right. That's exactly correct. You can't. You can't actually follow this to its logical conclusion, where what we as Christians are saying is we should love people. But loving someone doesn't mean agreeing with them, right? I don't have to agree with someone. I don't. I can. I can love 
right? I have I have Muslim friends, I have Mormon friends, I have Jehovah's Witness friends. I could love those people. Yeah, you can care for them. Can you care could, for them. You could not want to hurt them. them. You could have compassion on them. You could, could hang out with them. I could do things for them. Yeah. I could, yeah, but I don't have to agree with them. And they don't have to agree with me for right. me to feel love from them. And the same way, I can love people who are gay. I can hang out with them. I can have relationships with them. But I do not have to agree that what they're doing is correct. Um, and the same way with a trans person. I could I could have a relationship with them. I could love them. Doesn't mean I have to agree with them. Doesn't mean I have to say, I agree that what you're doing is correct. Uh, because I don't agree with that. I don't think that um, from any perspective. And again, this is one of those issues where you could actually throw out the Bible and still have a very solid argument against this. But for me, as a Christian, I'm always going to go back to the Bible and say the real issue is the glory of God, right? We as humanity were created to glorify God. And what we need to ask ourselves as Christians is, how do I glorify God in my gender? Yeah. And what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 is you glorify God in your gender by embracing the role that God has given you and living in it. Not by saying, I feel this way, so I'm going to live this way. Right, right. Christians are always going, taking our feelings and going, eh, let's push those aside and let's, let's, let's ask God to help us to glorify him. Right. With and our- so, like him, me and Bo are definitely not denying that these people have this, these thoughts, Right. I'm not going to look at someone as transgender and be like, you're making it up. Yeah, right? of course not. Um, yeah, of course. Of course, I believe that they're having these, that this is a very real thing that's happening in this person's mind. It's a very real thing. And it's probably uh, very intense. Right. I, I don't I don't know what it would be like to, to look myself in the mirror and be like, I'm the wrong gender. Yeah, just as just as it's real for someone to have a religious experience. That's right. That's right. Very real religious experiences that can happen in different faith systems. So I'm not denying that it's there. What I'm denying is, is that experience reality? Is it reality? Does it match up with um, what is actually taking place in the world? And the only way to actually live a life is to to live a true life is to live a life based on the truth. Uh, I mean, just giving a, a simple example, it's like, is it uh, if if I meet someone who's convinced that you know they can they can fly that they could defy gravity? It's like, well, it doesn't really matter how much that person believes that they could defy gravity. Gravity remains, and you cannot go against the fabric of nature. When you go against the fabric of nature, you get hurt. So if someone really lived their life based on that belief, they'd probably end up killing themselves trying to fly. So by me telling them that's not reality is not an unloving thing to do, but it's a loving thing to do. It's me trying to align them up with reality so that they'll live, so they'll have an actual life. And the same way with the trans person, going against reality doesn't help anybody. It's not helpful to anyone to go against reality. It's loving to show people what reality is. Yeah, and a lot of times that's what our argues or discussion should be about is what we believe reality is. Right. And and those are good discussions to have with people. Unfortunately, people I, I think are so ill equipped to sit down and have conversations about what they really believe reality is, um, that they get very offended or very um scared. To enter into those conversations, um, you know, challenged maybe, instead of just realizing that hey, we all should be challenged in life, and 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 that's okay. And but that's really what 
what good conversations are like is when we're really all discussing what reality is to me. This mm. is what it is. Um, and, you know, I would never say to someone, you know, uh, of course, I was raised more, you know, atheistic than in a religious context. But I would never say to an atheist like, hey, you know, you you have no there's no validness to how you look at the world. Um, I would want to hear the way they look at the world mm. and, and then process that to how I process the world mm. and my reality or what I think is real and then have a discussion about that. Mm. And yeah, we might persuade one another. We mm. might not, you know, but that's what conversation should be about. Right. You know, um, let's finish up. It says the underlying problem from a critical feminist perspective is institutionalized male dominance, what has long been called patriarchy. If we ever transcend the rigid, repressive, and reactionary gender norms of patriarchy, which constrain all of our lives, people would feel free to live authentically without claiming they belong in a sex category that is contrary to the physical reality of their bodies. Hmm. So you see what he's saying? I see what he's saying. That he's would, saying he's saying. So he, this is where we might disagree yeah. with Robert. <laughs> I mean, whatever. So disagree, Robert, yeah. Professor Jensen says, "Oh, if we just fix, if we just fix patriarchy issues, right, the issues of male dominance, mm. then people would be able to express themselves. Then it would people would naturally mm. be like, okay, in their sexual biology, right? They they wouldn't have to go to transgenderism because they would just they would be okay now to express themselves how they want." sexually according to their biology right which is a big assumption right 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 so uh this this kind of goes back to just what you were saying the idea of dealing with truth and how people perceive their realities so us and robert jensen look at this and we both agree the reality is this is a problem um where we differ is what the solution is right so his solution is if we just the the reason why people are acting this way is because of this patriarchy society, this male dominated chauvinistic society. And if we got rid of that, if we if we put into a society where gender norms, like right, the cultural expectations of masculinity and femininity were brought more into line, it would fix transgenderism. Now where would I would agree with him is I would say, Yeah, I feel like the more we bring gender um uh, masculinity, the idea of masculinity or femininity into reality and into a more uh, conformed place, it would help society as a whole. Mm. It wouldn't get rid of this problem, but it would help society as a whole, right? It would be a good thing if, uh, you know, boys grew up not thinking like, I have to be this way to be a man, or girls grew up thinking, I have to be this way to be a woman. It would be, it would be better if we helped people understand that you can be, you could be a man and you can express feelings and emotions and you can cry and you could, right. It would be, it would be very helpful to do that. Or you could be a woman and you could take charge and you could have right more, um, more authority and more initiative. Yeah. Uh, but it, it would be helpful, but it wouldn't disintegrate the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I, I think sometimes when you look at history, you kind of got history playing against to me, maybe professor Jensen, right. Right. You know, because there hasn't been the modern porn industry for a long period of time. Right. There hasn't been all this, you know, cell phone sex stuff like right here, yeah. you know, for that long period of time. And yet we've had ish sexual issues all throughout history. Right. All kinds of stuff, even transgenderism, like you pointed out. Right. 
you know, so 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 it, it's not just a construct of the modern era. Hmm. It seems like it's always been in our world. And he might say, well, it's because of patriarchy. That's why patriarchy's always been. But I think I think if you go down that route, then you you almost have to come to the argument that well maybe patriarchy is is not the problem because it's always been mm-hmm. meaning that's just the natural order of things right you know that that argument it, he he might go right against his own argument <laughs> if he says well patriarchy's always been so we got to throw it out because how can you throw out something that has always been right. And uh, I, I got another quote from Dorothy Sayers to, to kind of point this out a little bit. She says, To other people, the appalling outburst of the corrupt and wicked nature of humanity is not just shocking and alarming. For them, it is the utter negation of everything that they have ever believed. It is as though the bottom had dropped out of the universe. Now, for a Christian, this is not so. He is deeply shocked and grieved as anyone else, but is not astonished. He has been accustomed to the idea that there is a deep interior dislocation in the very center of human personality. The delusion of the mechanical perfectibility of mankind through a combined process of scientific knowledge and unconscious evolution has been responsible for a great deal of heartache. Now, this is what she's saying. We both, me and Robert Jensen, are on this side where we see there is a problem. And his, where we differ is we differ on what the solution is, and we also differ on what the real problem is. So for an atheist, for someone who doesn't believe in God, he has to say, the reason why there is this evil, the reason why this, there is this sin, is because of unjust social constructions. And if we got rid of those, people would be perfect, right? And what Dorothy Sayers is pointing out is that no matter what we do in society— we're still the same animals that we've always been, right? This is what what she's actually writing about, by the way, if you want to read this on your own time, it's called Total Depravity, A Great Source of Strength. She's writing about the people that were utterly destroyed after World War II because we as Western civilization thought, oh, we're moving towards a more enlightened culture. Oh, we're getting rid of all those bad, archaic things. And what happened in World War II? You have white Western people killing each other wholesale, putting each other in camps, slaughtering each other, dropping bombs, right? We firebombed whole cities of Germany, incinerating thousands of people, right? The barbarity that happened in World War II was probably more barbaric than any war previous to it. So this this naive assumption that we are perfecting humanity through these social constructions was utterly negated throughout World War II. And what she says is, are these unjust social constructions, can I look at Robert Jensen's argument and say, are there bad social constructions that are making people worse? Yeah, yes. of course. But are they making people bad? No. People are already bad. People are already so, bad. That's right. He's looking to the social, the, the way society is, that if we just organize it better, then it'll work. Right. So that's what people do with politics, right? If we just organize everything better than the way we want it, Right. then it's going to work out. And what we're saying is that, no, there's an even deeper underlying <laughs> problem, yeah. and that is in the human condition. And that's what I was meaning with patriarchy always being, hmm. is that if, if you say, if he's using the argument that patriarchy is the problem, just the social construct of patriarchy, and then we look throughout history and we see that patriarchy's always been, yeah. then then it is literally a part of the construct 
of our humanity. Right. Meaning that is that is an interwoven part of who we are as people. Men are bigger. Men are stronger. Men are predominantly bigger, bigger, predominantly stronger. Right. Um, and they have in history used that strength and that brute force to fulfill selfish needs. So there's an underlying problem with patriarchy, right? right? And that is the selfish need. Right. It's kind of the chicken or the egg thing. That's right. Like what happened first? Was it patriarchy that destroyed everything? Right. Or was it mankind that created patriarchy that destroyed everything? Right. That's right. So it's like, even if he goes into history, he's going to, it seems like it's an argument against him in a way. Right. No, it is. It absolutely is. And, and that's why we as Christians, we would look at it and say, what's the solution? And it's kind of exactly the same conversations that Jesus had with his disciples where the disciples were all encouraging Jesus to take over Rome, right? To be the king. They're like, dude, if you set up a government, man, everything would be perfect, right? <laughs> just organize it. Just organize it. And everything would be perfect. And Jesus keeps telling him, like, dude, it's not going to do nothing, right? I need to die, right? I need to die. There's something wrong with you, right? There's not something wrong with the world. something wrong with you. And even if I perfected all the governments, all the world, you would still be a mess, right? I need to die. I need to save you from yourself, right? I need to separate. I need to cleave you from your inner humanity that's bringing about destruction. And you need to be born again, right? You need to be a new creation, man. That's the solution. It's not just, you know, try hard. Right. Live for another kingdom. Right. Live for another kingdom. Be a part of another kingdom. That's right. And so again, with a transgender person, I wouldn't look at them and be like, well, stop being transgender, right? That's the issue, Right. If you stop being transgender, your life would be just perfect. You know, right. I would look and be like, no, there's, there's something wrong with me and there's something wrong with you that can only be fixed through Christ. And that's how we can talk to people that are in these, uh, you know, whatever we want to call, uh, you know, label that person, you know, transgenderism, you know, someone who's gay or lesbian or bisexual or this kind of thing or they're, you know, it, people go, oh, I, I just don't know how to talk to these people. And to me, I'm just like, what do you mean you don't know how to talk to these people? I mean, don't you sin? Like, don't you <laughs> don't you have any fight against like the sinful inclinations? If anybody should know the brawl that you have with the selfish nature, hmm. I, I would imagine it should be Christians. Right. You know, we should have we should. I mean, our, our scriptures tell us to. Take up the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the <laughs> schemes of the evil one. Right. You know, resist the devil. Right. You know, I mean, these are our scriptures. They're all these fighting terms. Yeah, resist, warfare. Yeah, yeah, warfare, fight, resist. And it's all this inner dealing with selfish, really, when you come down to it, it all has to do with this selfishness of idolatry hmm. of our own life and uh, our own desires and wants and wishes. And... Uh, so it, I, I, it's so hard for me to just go, how can you not sit with someone who has different viewpoints or thinks or, you know, and, and talk to them about these things? I just don't get it. You know, uh, sometimes I'm just like, I think the church itself is like lost. Right. They need to be saved. They need to know the, the they're not, they're, they're thinking um, just so outside of reality. Right. Um, and it actually, the, the scary thing is, is that actually leads to racism. It leads, it does lead to bigotry. Yeah. When you believe that you do not have sin, but these other people have sin. When I look as a Christian and say the culture, 
right? The culture is wrong. The politics are wrong. These people are godless. When I say things like that, what I'm asserting is if everybody was like me, this world would be great, right? And what the Bible says is if everybody is like you, and the world ain't great, you know, like right. everybody they are like you. That's the, are, problem. that's the problem is that you are a mess, right? You need God. And I love Galatians chapter two, because that's exactly the sin that the apostle Peter fell into, right? So again, this is such an easy thing that Peter even fell into it. And Peter was not eating with the Gentiles. And his whole picture was just like, man, like if the Gentiles just became like us, right? If they became all awesome, like the Jews, then the world would be great. And Paul has to rebuke him and be like, don't you know that Jesus died for us, right? That he, he was the Messiah for the Jews, right? We need his blood just as much as the Gentiles. How dare you think you're above anyone else? Yeah. And so, and this is what Jesus came to do, right? Is he, he simply wants to live his life through you. Right. Because Jesus is saying that if the whole world were filled with me, hmm. then you guys would, everything would be great. Then everything would be great, right? You know, but... So, so I need to be in you guys yeah. and, and you need to surrender to me. And, and then that's the Christian fight right there. Hmm. You know, I was doing that. Hey, let's finish this up. Right. Transgender activists acknowledge that we know little about ideology, the causes or the cause or causes or transgenderism. Within the transgender movement, there is a disagreement about whether this is a condition that requires medical treatment or just an aspect of identity like any other. Based on current knowledge, responsible public policy should approach transgenderism with a mental health model that explores people's distress without immediately making assumptions about what the symptoms mean for identity. As long as the movement demands that we accept transgender as an identity that cannot be questioned, the policy questions not only bathrooms, but whether it is ethical to give children powerful drugs to suppress puberty as a treatment for gender dysphoria. Hmm. Will not only, or will be not only unresolved, but unresolvable. So break that down for us, Peter. So it's just it's more of what he's been saying, just the idea that if if we can't have a discussion, if we can't even have a discussion, then there's not going to be any change. What it, it, that's why he says the end will not only be unresolved but unresolvable, meaning mm-hmm. all the problems that we have right now, they they are we're stopping them from ever having the ability to be dissolved. But um He's also saying that he believes the way that we should approach transgenderism is from a mental health um, problem. Meaning, when I talk to someone who is a male who believes he's a female, I should immediately approach that person as if there is something mentally wrong with them. Um, and that's that's the that's what he's getting at. He's saying I should not approach that person and say they're right, right, which is how we're doing it now, where I have a ten-year-old who says. I think that, dad, I think that I'm a girl. And I approach that that boy and say, I think you're right, son. You know, I'm going to give you drugs so that you're not going to go through puberty, that you're not going to, you're, you're going to develop as a girl, basically. Um, he's saying, maybe you shouldn't do that, but maybe you should approach and saying, maybe there's something, right, the matter. Maybe there's right. something off. Men- yeah, something's going on with the thinking. Right. Yeah, okay. So the transgender movement normalizes dramatic interventions into the body without a coherent explanation for the treatment. Suggesting anyone who hesitates to endorse this is a bigot. Mm. 
If this continues, will children who show any signs of gender nonconformity routinely be encouraged to identify as transgender, hence in need of treatment, rather than challenge patriarchal gender norms? Will girls and women be expected to abandon their legitimate interest in privacy and safety based on claim, the claim a claim that they can't uh, understand? Pressing these questions is evidence of critical thinking and a commitment to justice for girls and women, not bigotry. We can recognize the distress and needs of people who identify as transgender and at the same time ask these crucial questions and offer a feminist challenge to repressive gender norms. Debates in which people are condemned for criti or thinking critically are unlikely to lead to responsible public policy. So there it is. Pretty interesting, right? Yeah, very interesting. So we, we, we tackled it. We did it. We talked about it. And uh, it was fun, man. It was good stuff. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.